0: Thank you, worship team, for leading us in song and in light of the great truths we have just sung, turn with me to John chapter 4. Amen. Amen, brother pastor. John chapter 4, a larger portion of scripture for us this morning, but I think in in a bit here we'll understand how all of this fits together. John chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 1, and we'll go all the way through to verse 42. The Word of God reads, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone else brought him something to eat? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the sayings hold true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And so many Samaritans from that town that this is indeed the savior of the world pray with me as we enter into god's word together lord thank you that you are a savior your purposes your will your agenda for us is not hidden you know us better than we know ourselves and thereby you know what we need better than we do And so when you come to us, you grant unto us the very thing we need most, a Savior. We all need Christ. And we need the power that he can only give to walk in a manner worthy of that calling we have in him. Help us today to trust in you, knowing that you provide everything we could ever need. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess I'll start by asking you a question. What do you need? What do you need? Right now, you're thinking that you need lunch. I would agree with you. Mostly because we skipped breakfast. Unless you did it, and then I have to ask you, how do you do it? I can never find time Sunday morning for breakfast. Maybe you just want to eat right now. You feel like you need food. What do you need? Maybe you need more friends. Maybe you need better friends. Uh, Maybe you need uh, more time personally devoted to Jesus. Maybe what you need is, you think, more prestige with your friends, prestige with the people around you, popularity, notoriety. Maybe what you need is another relationship. Last one didn't work out, so maybe a new one would fix what's happened here. Maybe you've never been in a relationship, so you need a relationship just to see what that might be like. No one said amen, so that's good. (laughs) What do you need? Listen, to be human is to live a life full of needs each and every single day. From the moment you wake up to the moment you lie your head to rest, needs, needs, and more needs. You wake up needing something to eat. You live a day needing something to do. And you come to the end of it needing rest. Every waking hour, we have needs. And friends, that is the whole point of the passage that's before us it is to demonstrate unto us that as many needs as we have, God provides what we need. And it is to go even further than that. As many needs as you and I might have, God provides the greatest need that we all share. That as you and I live in a life and in a world where those needs will be met and also unmet time and time again, God provides a need that nothing else can satisfy. God provides a need that only He can provide. And God provides a need that many of us are not looking for. We turn to the same things each and every day, hoping that in those things we would find something that will satisfy us. Be those friendships be those some kind of dating relationship. Be that food or drink. Be that the kind of name that you build for yourself. Be that the kind of person that you want to become. What it is that you're going to do with your life. What career path you're going to take. We search and search and search because we need and need and need. And what we will find in John chapter 4 is that Jesus provides the ultimate need. The reason we need so much is because none of the things we turn to will satisfy. The reason that Jesus steps into the scene and Jesus comes, the Word made flesh, the one who will atone for our sins and die in our place and rise again to prove time and time again that He is truly God, the reason He steps down is to meet Our ultimate need. All of us apart from Christ are alienated from God. We're separated from God. We're offensive to God. We have no footing with God. And Jesus steps into our world. Jesus is before you even now to remind you that you need him. And and we'll look at that this morning, now turned afternoon, by seeing this story. I know it was a lot of text that we just read. In fact, this is the longest conversation recorded in the Bible that Jesus ever has. It is with this woman at the well. But this long conversation has a very simple meaning for us. And it is to point us to Jesus as the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, and the one who meets our needs. I want us to look at that by means of of five key ways that this passage unfolds, the five ways that this passage uh, works itself out so that we would see that Jesus satisfies our ultimate need, that where none of us could make a way to be right with God, where none of us could ever satisfy ourselves with the things of this world, where none of us can ultimately find pleasure in the things we pursue or in the way that life shakes out for us, Jesus steps in to fill all of that void and more. Jesus is our greatest need because Jesus is the one that God sent to save us. Number one, I want you to see this in verses one through six. Point one here, a necessary exit. A necessary exit Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. And so he leaves Judea and he goes to Galilee. There's something fascinating about what Jesus does here. John has just told us uh, by way of, let's say this, John the Baptist has made known to us by means of John the writer that the whole point of ministry is That Christ must increase and we must decrease. Great humility, isn't it? And yet, when John and Jesus seem to have this competition in ministry, Jesus is the one who picks up, takes his things, and leaves town. As a reminder to us, there is no one more humble than Jesus, he is the priority of ministry. He is the one that everyone needs, and yet he gathers his things and leaves town. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what motivates him. We see here it says that because the Pharisees learn of his ministry, he gets up to go. I think in many ways it's that he doesn't want to have this competition with John. That's not what their ministries are for. I think maybe more so there's the reality that Jesus understands, like he did in the wedding at Cana, it isn't time yet to get into a fight with the Pharisees because it isn't time yet to die for the sins of his people. And so a run-in with the Pharisees right now would be a little bit too soon. There is a third reason, and I believe verse 4 tells us what it is. This necessary exit is that he had to pass through Samaria. There is a necessary exit from Jesus in Judea, and now departing for Galilee, and it's because he must go through Samaria, and that has nothing to do with the way that roads worked back then. In fact, any Jew trying to get to Galilee, trying to get to uh, trying to get to Galilee, would in fact avoid Samaria. There were routes that were meant to take you around Samaria because Jews and Samaritans don't get along. They aren't supposed to like each other. Not in this day and age. But Jesus has to pass through there. And it's not because of the road. I think it's because there's a divine appointment between him and a woman at the well in Samaria. This necessary exit, it teaches us something about the heart of Jesus and how he works. You might not be expecting him, but Jesus is will always come to those who belong to him. I have no reason for knowing why it is that you sit here day in and day out. But I do have reason to understand, and this passage reminds me that every time you sit here to hear about Jesus, it is Jesus who is coming after you. This woman at the well, who you will see very soon here, has been disregarded by society, is disliked by everybody is sitting at a well at high noon, the hottest part of the day, the most isolated place in town. She there all by herself, wondering what is my life to be and who will ever love me? Jesus is going to Samaria because she belongs to him. Friend, I don't know your life, but I know this much. Jesus presents himself to you because he's the kind of savior who seeks His own. It's a beautiful part of Jesus' ministry here. He leaves Judea and heads through Samaria into this town called Sychar because he must meet with this woman. We note something else here. This necessary exit from town tells us something about Jesus that will make this passage all the more meaningful to us. Jacob's well is in this town. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, went and sat beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. I don't know if you noticed it, but Jesus is like us. It takes energy to do what Jesus did. He was a tired man, and he sits by this well because he was a thirsty man. He is the kind of person that sympathizes with what it is to be human. Jesus wasn't some kind of Superman who didn't know what it was like to live in life and to be tired and to be thirsty, and yet here he is with a great need himself, physically speaking, and that will not deter him from giving this woman what she spiritually needs. The spiritual always outrides the physical. And so this necessary exit from town, this tired and weary Jesus sitting up by a well, he's there on purpose. And it leads us secondly here to a necessary encounter, a necessary encounter beginning in verse seven. This encounter begins with this woman from Samaria who's come to draw water from the well. And Jesus tells her, could you please give me a drink? It's evident that Jesus is by himself. Verse eight says his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Those dudes were hungry all the time. Wouldn't you be if you saw Jesus like turning bread into sandwiches? Like you'd be looking for food all the time too. So they go into town and they're looking for an in and out, and they're going to bring back some double doubles, uh, whatever that looked like in ancient Near East, uh, shawarma. And now Jesus is by himself at this well. And up to him comes this Samaritan woman prepared to do what she probably has done every day for a long time. Just get some water. And she says, how is it that you're asking for a drink from me? There's a a sense here where this woman understands and maybe she thinks Jesus doesn't understand, but she does, that there are several barriers keeping Jesus from having anything to do with her. Number one, Jesus is a Jew, and she is a Samaritan. These two people groups do not like each other. The Samaritans could be thought of uh, as half-brothers to the Jews. Uh, They once, too, were part of Israel. They had been conquered by the Assyrians. Uh, Their people had been forced out, foreigners brought in. There was a lot of intermingling, and now they're looked at as lesser than the rest of the Jews. And because of that, a lot of strife between these people groups. And because of that, this woman understands, Jesus, you should have nothing to want to do with me. What's more, these were very different times. Not only was Jesus a Jew and she a Samaritan, but Jesus is a man and she is a woman. It would have been disrespectful and in many ways countercultural for them to even have a conversation here. In this time, it was actually even out of place for a husband and a wife to have a conversation in public. So think about a Samaritan woman with the history she has stepping up to this well, and Jesus starts talking to her. He shouldn't be doing that. But when Jesus is set on saving someone, there is nothing that will get in the way of what he must do. There is no racial barrier. There is no barrier of gender here either. Jesus has come to save this, this Samaritan woman and nothing will get in the way. This is a necessary encounter. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living, living water. And the woman is shocked by this. She does not understand what he's trying to communicate. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? In other words, I don't know what kind of soda fountain you think you are, but you didn't even come here with a jar. You don't even have a cup. How are you going to get any water out of there, and who are you? Where do you get this endless supply of H2O? who is this guy and why is he talking to me? This is, it seems to this lady a bit unhelpful, some might think. Jacob gave them water to drink from this well. What is it that Jesus is truly offering her? I think Jesus begins to make that clear for us. in the words presented here, verse 13, Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. You know that well, you don't know like the well in this text, but you know that well. Okay, anyway, you understand, because you had water this morning, maybe, and you also had water yesterday, and you probably had water the day before, and the day before, and since they started giving you water, you've been drinking water, because you need it every day, and so Jesus isn't talking about physical water here. Anyone who drinks water from a well will come back. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what is it that Jesus is truly offering here? It isn't water bottles. It isn't to supply H2O. Uh, The woman's missing the point of what Jesus is offering her. What Christ is offering this woman is not to meet a physical need. It is to meet her greatest need. She's come to this well day after day after day. Every day a reminder and an expression of her need. And she draws up water, takes it back home, drinks of it, only to come back the next day. Jesus says that's exactly how life in this world is. I've come to offer you something else. I've come to offer myself. All those who receive me will fully be satisfied. They'll never look for anything else. They won't find purpose anywhere else. They won't be satisfied with anything else. I am what satisfies. It is a reminder to us of a portrait of what this woman might have even understood already about who God is. Israel had been a kind of people that were well-digging for a long time, but in the wrong place. Jeremiah 2.13, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Friend, the neediness of this woman is not isolated to her. She reminds us of ourselves. She should remind me of me. And she should remind you of you. And each of us, just like Israel did, we are very much the same. We have rejected God, offended God, disobeyed God, and we've tried to find what God offers in himself in other things. Question for you. Are you satisfied in any of that? I would presume not. Food and water, you go back to it every day. Friends come and go. You get tired of them. They disappoint you. You get rid of them. You make new ones. Relationships. Not quite ever working out the way you expect it. Career paths, they change over time. Life in all of its intricacies is made out to be so that you will never be satisfied in it. God's gifts are good, but they are not God. And all those things are wonderful, but they will never satisfy. What Jesus is offering this woman, broken and sinful as she is, is to turn to him and find in him what only he can supply. So you want peace in your life. You want joy in your life. You want to be satisfied in life to the point that no matter what might happen to you, you always carry yourself in a way that can hold your head high knowing that God's got your back. Believe in his son. The kind of water that Jesus provides, it wells up to eternal life. Friends, that is the kind of life that is so different to what you experience in the present. It is about what is to come, it is also about the way you can live today. When Jesus resides in you, you have eternal life, an eternal perspective, a God centeredness. Jesus is a priority. And so no matter what might happen around in life, your life is fixed on him. Those who recognize what Jesus offers here, cry out with this woman, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. We all need this necessary encounter. We all need to come face to face with who Jesus is and what he offers and when we do thirdly we need a necessary encouragement a necessary encouragement look in verse 16 we get kind of weird here we're talking about water and jesus seemingly and kind of randomly just says well go call your husband and come here that might seem really random to us however In some ways, the question is twofold. One, it would have made their encounter a lot more normal. If the husband's around, no problem. Number two, Jesus is God. Jesus already knows this woman has no husband. So he's actually poking at a very sensitive nerve here. Go call your husband and come here. Friends, this is a reality for any of us who come to encounter Jesus. When we do, all of our lives will be exposed before him. You remember that in John 3, we read this. Light exposes darkness. This woman comes face to face with Jesus and her life is all out there in the open. Notice she doesn't offer it up. Jesus already knows it. Here's the challenge for us. When it comes to sin and struggles and difficulties and challenges, you might not want to tell God, but newsflash, God already knows to keep your sin to yourself, to hide in your shame, to wallow in self-pity. What good has it done for you? And what news is it to God when you bring it to him? Friend, when you bring your sin before him, it isn't some kind of headline, like if God never knew that before. It isn't some kind of newsflash as if you're giving to God some information he didn't have before he came in contact with you. God made you. Before the foundations of the earth, God knew who you were. God fashioned you in his likeness. And so as you live, he already knows you. He knows what you do. He knows what you think. He knows what you say. To keep those things to yourself is a detriment to your soul. Go call your husband and come here. I already know you. She responds, I have no husband. And Jesus answers with what looks like a roast, but it's not. (laughs) You're right in saying, I have no husband. You have five husbands. And the one that now is, that, that you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. And that's an important point for all of us to recognize. Jesus knew this woman far better than she might have thought. It's also, side note, a very important on what marriage is. Notice that she's had five husbands. Not good news. And we don't know the reason for why she's gone through so many In many ways, this would have been understood to be very immoral. And this woman is understood to be very sinful. We don't know if some of these husbands have died. They've divorced her. We have no news on the backstory. We do know this. She's with someone now, and it's not her husband. Marriage is something where two people are committed to one another. Living with each other is not marriage. And Jesus actually makes that very clear to this woman here. So she is found out. Sir, I I perceive you are a prophet. She recognizes this guy is different. And you might think she's changing the conversation, but I don't think she is. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped here on this mountain, and you say to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, whether on this mountain or in Jerusalem, uh, you need to worship the Father. You worship what you know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Drew, but the hour is coming and it's now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Here's what's happening. She sees her sin for what it It is. Jesus exposes that to her. And in doing so, she goes, like any one of us would, well, what do I do? I'm sure I need to confess this to someone and do something about it, so where do I go to worship? Where do I go to bring this before God? Maybe I need to go to the mountain of the Samaritans or maybe I need to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, Jerusalem is good, but I've got something better. What if God came to you? What if God revealed himself? What if you worship not based on a place, but you worship based on a person? What if you worshiped in spirit and in truth? What if you worshipped because you were face-to-face with your Savior? This woman found what she didn't even realize she needed. In the face of Christ, her sins were exposed, but also they were forgiven. Jesus offers to her an ability to worship God like no other person had understood before. That in Christ is this ability to know God who is spirit and know God who is truth. It is irrelevant what we do externally for God if he has not first internally changed our hearts. So this woman says, I know Messiah's coming. He'll make these things clear. Jesus says, I who speak to you am. Now I'm purposefully leaving the he out of there, though it's in your Bible. I who speak to you am. Because in this, Jesus is communicating, I am God. The one you're talking to is the one you're thinking about. Her sins can be forgiven. Her shame removed because she's face to face with the Savior. Quickly here, number four, this leads to a necessary exhortation. The disciples come back, and Jesus says, I'm not hungry. And they go, well, man, someone must have brought him Chick-fil-A or something. I don't know how they got to him first. How How'd they even know he was hungry? They're so lost. It's like a clown show. And Jesus is reminding them this exhortation, verses 27 to 38, uh, very quickly here. It is in many ways Jesus chastising these men for not recognizing that Jesus came to do something much more than just eat with them. Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I, Jesus, the God man, the one who begins this scene, tired and thirsty and even hungry, apparently, puts all of that aside because that's not the priority. As tired and hungry and thirsty as he might be, that does not get in the way of doing what he must do. My food. What satisfies me, what keeps me going, what sustains me, what moves me, what motivates me is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. These men needed an exhortation and so do we. The thing that motivates us the most is to do the will of God. And the will of God is that all those who are sinners would turn to him And believe in him. And would follow his son. Jesus might have gone to town hungry and thirsty and tired. None of those needs were met. But the greatest thing was accomplished. This woman went back into town. She came to the well with a jar. She goes back having forgotten it. Because something much more important has happened. The will of God has been accomplished. She found Everlasting water. Eternal life. This leads us fifthly to a necessary ending. The Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believe because of his word, and they say to the woman, "It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard it for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world." This woman does what any Christian would do. As soon as she's saved, she tells other people how they can be saved. You want a measure of your Christianity? You want a measure of your faith in Christ? Who do you tell about Him? Is it hard work to get you up in the morning to tell someone about Jesus? Is it difficult to get you to move into the town and to tell others of the salvation that's come to you? Saved people saved people. That's what we see in the life of this woman. She comes to know Jesus, and she recognizes without anyone telling her, others must know him too. Come and see a man who knows me and knows you. But like every good testimony, I want you to notice something important about what happens here. She does her part. The people come out to meet Jesus. And verse 42 is vital. It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Friends, when you go with the message of God's grace, when you go to tell others of the salvation and the eternal life only offered in the fountain that is Jesus, let them come running back to Him. If they believe anything at all, Let it not simply be that you have a really great story. We all have a story. All of our testimony, it it all matters. I get that. But at some point, everyone must come face to face with Jesus. Your story matters. But it matters much more that your story points people back to Christ. And that when they look to him, they would see and no longer believe because you have to tell them, but because they experience him in their own way, recognizing that the one they're beholding, the one they've heard of, the one they're face to face with is the Savior of the world. What a perfect ending to this story. Jesus came to save this woman at the well. And it ends with a recognition and an understanding that he is also the savior of the world what john the baptist has testified about him is true and we see its power bearing itself out my question is do you know this to be true for you he is the only savior offered to you from heaven no one else will satisfy and no one else will save This is God's promise that all who believe in his name will have eternal life. And whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God will remain on him. The story of the woman at this well is a reminder to all of us that what has happened to her can happen to you. That Jesus came to save not just religious people like Nicodemus, but messed up people like this woman at the well. So you're human, perfect, then you need Jesus. So you sin by being self righteous, or you sin by doing all kinds of things that really are shameful and disgusting before God's eyes, perfect, then you need Jesus. No one is good enough and no one is bad enough. Jesus has come to save all. Would you turn and trust in him and receive eternal life? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for this opportunity yet again to hear from it, to see Christ as he is, to see his power as he saves, I pray that if anyone in this room has not come to saving faith in Christ, that they would trust in him. Everything else in this world will fall short of satisfying them. But Jesus never will. He will bring us safely home as we seek to trust in him and walk in the new life that he gives us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.